Hey, and welcome to City Hall Stories. I'm Jack English, and I think local governments have some of the most interesting stories that exist. Almost everything we do on a regular basis is affected by local government decisions, and this provides a massive opportunity for real change if we better understand how it works and how to affect it. I hope the incredible humans you hear from in this podcast inspire you to look closer at your own local government and become a part of the solution. Phoenix is the fastest growing city in the United States. Located in the searing hot southwest state of Arizona, its growth faces severe constraints from rising heat, water shortages, and arable land. For it to be able to sustain the growing number of humans choosing it as their home, it requires constant innovation in how it procures and allocates resources. Enter Ginger Spencer, the city's newly appointed deputy city manager responsible for overseeing community and economic development, planning, state land, and revitalization. Having spent 20 years in public works achieving incredible outcomes, she now faces her most difficult challenge, ensuring Phoenix continues to grow while solving the myriad challenges that come with that growth. Today we discuss rising through local government ranks, the imposter syndrome, and how to overcome the steep learning curve that comes with taking on an entirely new portfolio. Please enjoy my conversation with Ginger Spencer. Ginger, there's fast-growing cities and then there's Phoenix. And at the center of every fast-growing city are basically the nuts and bolts, public works, infrastructure, planning, development. And you've got experience across all of these, which is why I'm so excited for our conversation today. Do you mind providing a little bit of context as to your work, specifically at Phoenix, coming from that public works space, but even before then, and uh, including where you are sitting now in the, the city manager's office? Yeah, so thank you, Jack, for that question. Uh, I've been with the city now for 23 years, and I started off with the city of Phoenix as a management intern. And one of the reasons why I chose public service, local government, is I really wanted to give back to my community. I'm a Phoenix native, born and raised here. And also, too, though, I wanted to see kind of like the fruits of my labor. I wanted to be able to drive around and be able to say, oh, I worked on that project and, you know, see how your work, your day-to-day work impacts your community. Basically, I've been very blessed with my career here in the city of Phoenix. I've been able to work for a lot of different departments and a lot of different capacities. And I've done some heavy lifts as well. So I always said I wanted to work in a challenging environment and I'm a lifelong learner. And so I think I've been able to do those things with my career in the city. So after the internship, Uh, where I worked in the city manager's office, budget and research uh, department, as well as the neighborhood services department. It gave me just a great background and overview of the city overall. I was uh, able to work on a project team, which was establishing a one-stop shop for victims of domestic violence uh, and sexual abuse. And so it was known as our Family Advocacy Center. I also was tapped in my career uh, to lead our arts and culture program. And so as the arts and culture administrator, I was really able to work with our arts and culture commission to teach them how to advocate for more funding for arts and culture in our community. The techniques that I was able to instill in them, I actually learned from watching the Friends of the Library advocate for more funding for libraries uh, when I worked in the budget and research department. As arts and culture administrator, able to work with the commissioners to help them learn about the budget process, um, to look at the times we're in. When do we say, you know, thank you for what we've got, we're good. Um, When do we say, okay, we understand it's a rough year and just please don't cut us. Uh, And then when do we say, you know what, look at the economic impact of the arts and culture industry and the impact that we make and 
we would like more funds. So we were able to do that, getting more monies from then Mayor Greg Stanton and the Phoenix City Council. We were able to build new arts and culture facilities in the city, as well as in Uh, continue to engage in additional public art projects. So that was a lot of fun. I've spent half of my career in the public works department, starting off as a deputy director over admin services. So all of the cool stuff like IT, HR, environmental security for the city, contracts, procurement, you name it. uh, That's what I was able to do there. I eventually promoted to assistant director over solid waste and was able to work uh, with our mayor and council in our strategy to reach a 40% diversion from the landfill by the year 2020 and then eventually became the uh, public works director uh, where I did that for years and basically just working uh, with my team to help the city to become a leader in sustainability and in building a circular economy and then the last, uh, almost four months ago, I was tapped to uh, become a deputy city manager in the city of Phoenix. And the most exciting part about that is I get to work in a new area that I haven't worked in throughout my career, not as intimately, and that would be economic development and planning and development. Awesome. Really, really appreciate that background. So we're going to dive into all of those very specific service areas, but let's maybe first pick on the one that you've spent, as you mentioned, half of your career in public works. Pretty broad service area, and a lot of folks have some conception about what it might entail, but could you give us a primer on what exactly public works does on a day-to-day basis, uh, and maybe even how that's changed over the past, I don't know, since you began working in the space? Yeah, so every city, probably every town, has a public works department in some form or fashion. And really, I like to describe a public works department as the background or the glue. (laughs) Uh, One of my bosses described us as it holds the rest of the city together. You know, some folks say the city's role on public works. So because a lot of times public works involves uh, fleet operations. So in Phoenix, what public works consists of is facilities, fleet, solid waste and flood control. And we work with every single department in the city of Phoenix. Um, If there is a city building that has the Phoenix bird on it, uh, our teams are responsible for providing the maintenance on those facilities. If you see a vehicle, whether if it's a fire ambulance or a police patrol car or a street sweeper or a solid waste garbage truck, our folks, our public work folks, are the ones who are purchasing those vehicles they're procuring it, making sure that they are equipped. Um, they're getting them ready to make sure, you know, they've got the city bird on it. It's the right color, you know, all those things. And they actually maintain the vehicles um, on behalf of the city. So when I say that, you know, city roles, <laughs> um, public works, that, that's what I'm talking about. So we make sure that the rest of the city has what they need, their resources to do their jobs well. You know, when you, you think of fire, you know, um, and you call 911 and you need help and you come, you want that fireman or firewoman to be there, you know, to make sure that they come and save the day. Well, you know, it's our folks that are maintaining that, that fire facility, that fire station. Uh, it's our folks that are maintaining the fleet. So we don't have brownouts in city. And what a brownout would be is you don't have enough vehicles to provide the resources for firefighters to go and do their jobs. But as you look at 
every city, Public Works varies. And the cool thing is when I get to meet with my colleagues across the nation and internationally, we always have like one or two areas that are the same, uh, but then there's other areas that may differ. So when you look at Public Works broadly, it can include fleet, facilities, solid waste. It also can include street transportation. It could include transit. It can include aviation. It can include water and wastewater. I've even seen some cities where um, parks is included under public works. So it really depends on the size of the city as far as what is the, the makeup of the public works department. The one thing that I want to say, though, is moving forward, you asked how have I seen public works change over the last 20 years, is our department really is known for being innovative, for thinking outside of the box and getting things done. A lot of things have come our way that you wouldn't think of. When we were going through COVID-19 and our mayor and council wanted to do testing, COVID-19 testing for our residents, we needed someone, a department in the city to get that up and running. And so Public Works was the one to get it up and running. We put contracts out. We worked with individuals, uh, with nonprofit organizations and others, hospitals that were doing this type of work, the testing. And we contracted with them and we set up locations and we made sure that hundreds and thousands of residents were able to get testing, the COVID-19 test. Um, We even were, we took it one step further and had mobile vans in case people weren't able to necessarily come to the spots where we were offering the COVID-19 testing events, we said, okay, our mayor and council wanted to bring vans, bring the testing out into the community. And so we were able to get that up and running in record time. It was just great to see my team do that. You know, so, and I can give you so many examples. We wanted to do holiday lights one year. Again, we, they Tap Public Works. We did the fundraising for that. We worked with the contractor to get the lights up and we just make things happen. So that that is definitely how I have seen Public Works change over the years. So in a previous conversation of ours, you'd mentioned this pretty interesting goal, Reimagine Phoenix, and more specifically, uh, the diversion of a very specific percentage of waste from landfill. Can you talk us through that overall project, why it was important, uh, and what were actually some of those initial challenges to tackling that early on that you faced? Yeah, so our Reimagine Phoenix initiative, that was a very exciting project that I was able to work on. When our then-mayor, Greg Stanton, came into office, uh, there was an author that came out with a book, and their book said that Phoenix was the least sustainable city in the world. So not in Arizona, <laughs> not in the nation, but in the world. And it looked at it from all facets from a, a sustainability lens, water usage, diversion from the landfill, that sort of thing. So the, the full lens, environmental sustainability lens. And so our then mayor working with our Phoenix City Council said, we need to do something about it. And it was definitely one of the priorities when he ran for office and then one of his priorities uh, when he became mayor. Out of that became the Reimagine Phoenix Initiative, which was to divert 40% of our waste from the landfill by the year 2020. The interesting thing about all of that is at the time, we were only at a 14% diversion. So that was a very ambitious goal. <laughs> we didn't have a lot of time uh, to achieve that goal. Really, it was 
probably within a six-year time frame. Then the director at the time was John Trujillo, working with the mayor, uh, and that was the vision, uh, right? 40 by 20. John hired me as the assistant public works director uh, to basically to come in and to implement that vision, to come up with the strategy. How are we going to achieve 40% diversion by the year 2020? Uh, and set those annual goals on how to get there. Work with my team and the Public Works Department, as well as other city departments to come up with new programs and innovative ways to help achieve that 40% diversion. We looked at it from a a three-prong approach. We said we wanna establish new programs and services. We wanted to build public-private partnerships was the second one. And we wanted to basically increase education around sustainability, around recycling. Uh, And we wanted to really focus on working with the schools and the youth and the next generation to do that. The thing that I like to to point out is what was so unique about Phoenix, uh, if you were to compare us to like a Seattle or Portland at the time, or even other states like California and that sort of thing, we don't have any mandates fees or fines (laughs) in Phoenix uh, or Arizona. So what that meant was everything that we did, it had to be on a a voluntary basis. Whereas there was even one city uh, we were trying uh, that tried to ban plastic bags. They just said, don't put your plastic bags in the recycling. We are banning plastic bags. And the state legislature actually banned the ban. (laughs) So that's just one example. So everything we did in Phoenix, we had to do on a voluntary uh, basis. So instead of saying no plastic bags, we worked with the local grocers and retail stores, came up with a, a program where actually you could return your plastic bags to the store And then the store would then work with another local partner and they would take those plastic bags and then um, recycle them, reprocess them, repurpose them, and basically make like um, park benches out of them, for example. Another thing that we said was, hey, we've got a lot of trash. (laughs) We've got a lot of waste and we don't know what to do with all of it, but we want to know what are your big ideas? What you know, innovative ideas do you have? So what we did was we put out a call for innovators. And basically a call for innovators is just a really sexy way of saying request for information, which all cities are used to doing. And so we put it out to the world. We really did. Um, We had individuals respond locally, nationally, and internationally with their ideas on what to do with our waste. Um, from plastics to, um, to compost to palm fronds, you name it. And so just a lot of creative ideas there to help us with that approach. So what I'd like to say is that um, through all of our efforts and just really, really having a hardworking, dedicated team, being willing to take risk with the full support of our mayor and council, Uh, We were able to do a lot of great things in the city to help us achieve that 40% diversion. And I'm happy to say that pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, we were able to um, achieve a 36% diversion, diversion rate from the landfill, you know, with no mandates, fees, or fines, all on a voluntary basis, uh, exceeding the national average 
of uh, 34% diversion. So I'm really uh, proud of the efforts that my team was able to achieve. I love that story. Uh, Really super well done. As we chatted earlier, you demonstrated a pretty unique perspective as to how you uh, approached evaluating the deputy city manager role given your uh, previous role as public works director because you'd been tapped for promotion a couple of times but were kind of umming and ahhing about it. Uh, What was actually kind of the final nail in the coffin uh, that caused you to to put your, your hat forward for that deputy city manager role? Yeah, so when I started off as a management intern, like most management interns, uh, my goal was to one day be in city management. But the closer you get to the job, (laughs) you're like, wait a minute, is this really what I want to do? Again, I spent half my career in public works, and I got to have a lot of fun in public works. I was able to work with a team of a thousand plus hardworking, dedicated employees who are dedicated to customer service for our internal customers, whether it be police, fire streets, to our external customers. Over 400,000 residents that we served daily. I was able to, you know, travel from city to city to provide technical assistance on and share with others what was working here in Phoenix that might be able to help their cities and their towns and areas, to being able to represent the city on an international scale in Paris and London and Canada. It's just a great experience. Um, So I was having a lot of fun in public works. And um, so I wasn't actually looking for a job, but when the deputy city manager, the DCM job became available, Um, Several of my assistant directors mentioned it, (laughs) as well as some of my staff. I kind of laugh when they all kept asking, like, are you trying to get rid of me? You know, (laughs) you guys trying to kick me out. But I thought about it and and, and they weren't trying to kick me out. I think they just knew that it was a goal and an aspiration and thought that it would be a great opportunity for me. And even as I contemplated, do I want to stay in public works? Do I want to compete for this job as a deputy city manager? One of the things that I thought about was if I stay in this seat as public works director, no one else gets to move. No one else gets to promote advance in the department. And one of the things that I'm most passionate about is leadership development. While I was in public works, I was focused. It was a priority for me to develop the leaders and future leaders in the department and really to build that bench strength. Um, of my assistant directors, of my deputy directors, of operation managers, of superintendents, um, individuals all throughout the organization and helping them to achieve their goals. You know, in high school, I was a former track star. And so for me, it was about passing the baton of leadership and, and really just going for that opportunity, knowing that I had left, you know, and prepared the team, but I had left the department in a great place and knowing that I had groomed future leaders to carry on that torch, to carry on that baton and continue the good work of public works. So that's, that's really what got me to apply for the job of DCM was, again, just opening up, creating those other opportunities for the individuals and those leaders and the department uh, who I work with over the years and who are ready Uh, just to take the helm and take the department to the next level. Love that. So let's stay on the the idea of management, the concept of of leadership. Uh, You rose to management early on in your career and have have really uh, led ever since. 
to young local government professionals that are listeners to the podcast, what advice can you provide to stand out as a potential leader and really to position yourself within the organization, large or small, for the upward mobility that you've seen throughout your career? Great question, and thank you for that, Jack. What I would say to young uh, local government professionals is come in, work hard, listen, observe, and, and really just take advantage of that opportunity to learn from the leaders that are in the field. Watch what they do, you know, how they speak, how they carry themselves, how they work uh, with other leaders in the organization, how they work with mayor and council. Not only look at what works well, but what didn't work so well. <laughs> and in, in everything, though, being true to yourself and as you're developing your leadership style to make it your own. So I think really what worked for me is I wasn't really focused on advancing quickly. I was focused on working hard, excelling in my current position, and learning as much about the organization as I could and contributing as much as I could. And so I think if you do that, then you're naturally positioning yourself and it will open up windows of opportunity for you. The other thing that I will say is I was involved with different organizations with affinity groups that allowed me to meet other leaders and individuals in my field. It gave me an opportunity to volunteer to serve on different committees. It also gave me an opportunity to serve on boards in different capacities um, so that others could see my leadership skills uh, and capabilities. And then thirdly, what I would say is I was able to participate in a program that allowed me to have a mentor. And that, that individual is still my mentor today. When I look to make decisions, even when I was considering the deputy city manager position, I reach out to my mentor and have a conversation with them and say, you know, what do you think about this? Uh, do you think it's the right time? You know, and that sort of thing. But also what we worked on during that time. So this was when I was a young professional was coming up with a strategic career plan. And in that strategic career plan, and this is the advice that I get give to young professionals that I get to mentor now is you have three columns. The first column is, okay, what are some of the skills that you're looking to gain? You know, is it contracting or procurement experience? Is it supervisory skills? Is it project management experience? You know, is it budgeting experience? What is some of the experience that you're looking for? And the second column, it's, okay, well, what are the positions that you're interested in? And so that could be, okay, and I came up through the management um, assistance rank. So, okay, I start off as a management intern. Okay, I want to be an MA1. I want to be an MA2. I want to be an MA3. I want to be a deputy director. I want to be an assistant director. I want to be a director, you know, DCM, ACM, you name it. So that's the positions you're interested in, right? That's kind of the career ladder. And there could be different ones depending on the track that you're looking for. And then thirdly, what are the departments that you're interested in. So for me, I had a social services background uh, before I started with the city. And so it's like, okay, well, human services, housing, neighborhood services, um, that's great. Uh, if I wanna gain budgeting experience, okay, it'd probably be great to work in budget and research. And then also I was encouraged as a young professional, it was something that others saw in me, was to pursue a career 
in a non-traditional role. So then I had to research, okay, well, what are the non-traditional roles for women, uh, for minorities? And so that's um, how I came across public works, but also aviation department, water department, that sort of thing. Then what I say is that strategic career plan, that will help guide you so that you're just not chasing titles. So you're not just chasing the almighty dollar. But if you can circle uh, one thing in two columns and an opportunity presents itself, then go for it. Um, but if you can't circle at least one thing in two different columns, uh, then you, you may probably wanna pass that opportunity up. What I also would say, Jack, is be open. When individuals reach out to you and say, hey, have you thought of this? No, I haven't, but you know what? I'll look into it. Uh, so just being open. And then also, if, if you have an opportunity to volunteer, do that because it exposes you to individuals in the organization. So that, that would be um, the advice that I would give. And I guess lastly, just know that if you have goals and you have aspirations, that it will come. And it's just a matter of time. For me, I was fast-tracked. Got into management within four years after starting the internship. So I was 28 years old. Uh, I had individuals <laughs> who were more experienced and who were more seasoned and who were older than me. And they let me know that. <laughs> um, and that's another story. But, but, but working through that as a young professional. But I also have a colleague who we started off at the same time. And he was more focused on his family uh, and his children uh, at that time. And so he took his time in seeking promotional opportunities. But what I'm happy to say is that we both became executives in the organization about the same time. So we had different tracks. So that's what I would tell people is write down your goals and your aspirations and then be patient, work hard, but know you eventually get there. What a fantastic answer. And I, I love the practical exercise there. I guess honing in on your, your quick rise throughout the organization, this is something I'm curious about. Have you ever uh, experienced imposter syndrome? And if so, how did you come to terms with that? Or have you been able to, to overcome that? Or is that something you still <laughs> deal with today? Yeah, so great question. Imposter syndrome. Fake it till you make it. <laughs> For me, I have not had to deal with that. Because um, one, I'm very self-aware. Two, I don't pretend to know anything I don't know. And three, I'm just a very humble person. When I go into areas, meeting new people, new environments, I'm just myself at the end of the day. And I'll be quick to say, I don't know. Um, I'll be quick to say, I don't have all the answers, but, but let me look into it and try to figure out what I can um, learn and gather and fix and solve and resolve uh, as quickly as I can. And it also depends on where you're at in your career and that sort of thing as well. What I would say is I think what's most important is confidence, right? But not being overly confident, not being arrogant uh, or anything like that, but having confidence. And I think that confidence <laughs> and competence uh, will take you a long way. But you have to develop your style. You have to be comfortable with yourself. You have to be comfortable with not knowing everything, but being willing to work with others and to learn from others and letting folks know that at the end of the day, you're there to help uh, however you can. That would be my response. 
I think that's a great answer. I think probably 99.999% of the world's problems would be solved if more people just said, I don't know, when they really don't know. So yeah. Going into your, your, your new role, you're someone that has been very vision-oriented throughout your career, driving teams toward big goals. So a couple of questions here. Early on, with respect specifically to planning and economic development, which is so important for a massive growing city like Phoenix, uh, how are you getting on top of the steep learning curve? And then secondly, what are some of your early goals, your KPIs, your strategic objectives that you've placed? Yeah, so that is um, another wonderful question. For me, at this level, as a deputy city manager, what that means is I have um, directors, very capable and competent directors, very seasoned directors that report to me. What it also means is that we have a mayor and city council who have set a vision and they have goals that they want to achieve. I also have a city manager, right, who is ultimately responsible for implementing those goals and making sure that we achieve it, uh, who I am held accountable to. And then lastly, what I would say is, and then we have the community, the Phoenix community, our residents, people who work in Phoenix, right? People who visit Phoenix and that sort of thing. So when it comes to economic development and planning and zoning, from a city standpoint, what always was attractive to me are cranes <laughs> in the city. When I travel from city to city, whether if it be for work or for play, when I get off that plane and, and I'm walking through the city or driving through the city or taking a taxi cab, I'm looking to see if there are cranes in the sky. To me, a vibrant city, a growing city, a competitive city, a smart city is a city where there is economic development. And, and what that means is we are attracting new businesses. We are creating jobs, quality jobs for the individuals who live in Phoenix. And so it to me is so exciting. And I mean, and there was a time when we didn't have a lot of cranes going on or up in Phoenix. And I remember traveling to other places and seeing it and just like wondering, okay, what's this city doing that we're not doing? And during a pandemic last year, and this is kudos to our economic development director, uh, Christine Mackey, and then kudos also to our planning and zoning director, Alan Stevenson, because he works very closely with Chris Mackey and their teams and the, the leadership of our mayor and council with their vision and our city management team, we had 20 cranes up at one time in downtown Phoenix. How exciting is that? How amazing is that? I, I wasn't a part of the effort at the time, uh, but I could see it. In fact, from my office, there was one building going up, a high-rise building going up, uh, and I could see the cranes. I could see the activity from week to week, day to day, just the um, progress and the construction that was taking place. And so just very, very exciting. So I think from a, a KPIs and a strategic objectives right now and early goals, my goal is really just to support Chris and Alan. And one of the ways that we're doing that is from a development standpoint, what we're seeing right now is our numbers are almost as high as they were during our peak. We're like maybe 500 permits short of our peak season. 
and that was right before the recession. But we have like 300 fewer staff now than we had back then that are responsible for doing the same amount of work. So one example, one of the things I've been able to work with Alan on and our, our city manager getting his support and the mayor and council is getting additional positions approved um, so that we can hire more people uh, so that we can keep up with the goals and make sure that we're processing the zoning requests timely, the, the permitting requests timely, and, and to make sure that the work is getting done timely, efficiently, and effectively. Uh, so that's kind of how I, I see my role as well. And then lastly, what I'll say is, is really also listening to our mayor and council. They definitely want to see economic development. That is very, very clear. But they also are looking at challenges in the city, like how do we deal with homelessness? Uh, how do we deal with affordable housing? And, and how does planning and economic development play even into those maybe social challenges that we see as a city? So, so that's really what it's about is just helping to identify the goals and then driving to get there. And I'm a very results-oriented um, manager and leader. And so uh, that's what I'm looking for, are those opportunities. How do we get there? How do we achieve results at the end of the day? Perfect. So Ginger, for our traditional closing question on City Hall Stories, I'll ask you, what's one accepted truth of local government that in your experience is incorrect? <laughs> ah, well, what I would say is one accepted truth of local government that I think is incorrect is that local government is risk averse. And the reason why I say that is because when I started, you know, over 20 plus years ago, government was seen as being risk averse. And we were, we were. <laughs> but what I've seen of late and the change over the years is that we want to be innovative. We want to be competitive. We want to be the leaders in our field. We want to use technology. We want to use it wisely. We want to be smart about it. And, and also, too, with, with all of the different things that we're having to deal with as a city or city manager, Ed Zerker, one of the things he says is just looking back, like the things that he's dealing with as a city manager, city manager 20 years ago didn't have to deal with those same types of challenges. And so what I would say is because of that, right, because of the drive to be innovative and because of the drive to be the best, we are now willing to take risk. Now, you, you may not hear a say, city say that. They'll say innovative, right? <laughs> They'll say smart and all these other things. But at the end of the day, it's about taking risk. And that's what I love about my experience in the Public Works Department and my experience uh, working on the Reimagine Phoenix initiative is because we were able to think outside the box. We were able to be innovative. We were able to take risk. Now, and sometimes I had to remind ourselves that when you take risk, when you're doing something new, we may not always get it right the first time. <laughs> that we might fail sometimes. But if we do fail, we're going to fail forward. We're not going to make the same mistakes. 
We're not going to allow, though, any mistakes to hindering us from continuing to try to be creative and, and come up with new ideas and, and, and that sort of thing. We're not going to let it stifle us. If we do, we're going to fail forward. Uh, and, and just knowing that sometimes that does come with risk. But at the end of the day, if you do it right, you're going to have more wins than you have losses. Ginger, I thought this was a, a really great conversation that touched on broad leadership lessons as well as more operational project-specific information. Your genuine, I guess, enthusiasm and excitement for local government is really clear to see. So best of luck in driving Phoenix toward an even more beautiful skyline than it is today. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jack. It was a pleasure being on the show with you. And thank you for highlighting Phoenix today. And it's just a pleasure meeting you. It's me again. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts and connect with me on LinkedIn. See you soon.